Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk all things customer perceived value and all of the things it takes around an organization to grow, build, design, deliver, sell, and price to value. Today, I am thrilled to have Jamie Baxter, who is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Quick. Uh, Quick is a HR technology company that's because um, he's had to change a little bit uh, in the last couple months with COVID. Uh, Jamie is an HR tech veteran. He's been and led eight, seven different HR technology uh, products from concept to revenue. Before that, he was uh, international and led a team at Towers Watson, uh, where he was responsible for almost $250 million in revenue, $36 million in R&D. Jamie, I am thrilled to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. I'm really looking forward to this, this discussion and uh, love your centric perspective on uh, delivering that customer value as well. So excited to dive into that. Yeah, thank you. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, Quick as originally envisioned and kind of the inspiration and what got you started on that. And after that, then we'll shift gears to how you had to shift gears. So the idea for Quick originally came from my co-founder, uh, Chris. He is in the hotel business. He owns a bunch of hotels. And one of the hardest things that he has in running these hotels is staffing those hotels. Um, you know, very high turnover, over 100% at most of his properties. Um, fluctuations in staffing that, you know, based on seasonality and events, I mean, you need a different amount of staff each day. And uh, a typically unreliable workforce, which would, you know, have daily no calls, no shows. And so he said that he wanted uh, a way that he could order staff just like he ordered an Uber. You push a button, magic happens, people show up. And uh, I thought it was a brilliant idea. It fit really well into my wheelhouse and HR technology. Uh, I built products around performance management and recruiting and pay. And it was really all of that kind of wrapped up into a single daily transaction. So uh, I moved out here in uh, 2017 to Phoenix to, to start quick, uh, incubate it in Chris's hotels initially here in Phoenix and then uh, then start expanding. But that was the, uh, the original idea. It's nice to have a, uh, a customer platform built in so that you can safely give yourself a little bit of runway and a little bit of experience. I always believe in having some sort of unfair advantage when you start a new product or business and uh, having a customer that you can learn from uh, exactly what you need to do. You, or you can make a lot of mistakes and because uh, you're going to have a lot of mistakes early on and where they can't fire you. That's a, that's a great opportunity to have to, to get started. Uh, that's great. So quick was started to help hotel, you know, staffing and restaurants too, correct? We, we actually originally started um, back in uh, 2017, exclusively focused on housekeeping um, for hotels. And uh, we did that for about uh, five weeks. We ran into about 15 different problems. Uh, some of those I thought we could overcome, others 
uh, we thought were kind of insurmountable at the time. So we, uh, we pivoted over very early on from housekeeping to food and beverage and initially focused on hotels, catering companies and event venues um, uh, when we really started getting going in 2018 or so. And so you're picking up speed, you're just, uh, you're not in startup mode, you're in scale up mode and then COVID happens. Yeah. And COVID happens to that food and beverage industry more severely than to any other industry except maybe airlines. Yeah, it, it hit our industry very hard. Uh, you know, we, we got punched in the throat really, really bad and uh, saw our revenue drop 80% within a few weeks. And, and so, you know, in thinking about this, yeah, you did a pivot. It isn't as easy as, yeah, let's just, let's just pivot. So tell me a little bit about that change and how did you re-examine the value of this software asset that you had, right? You developed it but suddenly you couldn't point it at your intended, originally intended market. And what did that thought process look like? Who did you involve? And how did you figure out where to take that um, to survive and thrive? Yeah, um, pivots are always really hard. And I, I think especially you know, during COVID, uh, you're navigating how you respond to COVID and uh, a drop in revenue and uh, reduction in our team size as a result of that, at the same time trying to figure out where to take the company in the future. Um, our initial uh, you know, kind of pivot uh, really revolved around trying to use this platform that we have created and you know, 80,000 professionals that are on it to help do some good, right? Um, help fight back against COVID in some way. And um, we knew that hospitals uh, were having a hard time with staffing and especially in, in some of their cafeterias and providing food for um, all the patients that they were now had an influx of. So we started working with some hospitals to help them provide them food and beverage staff. But we also saw uh, grocery stores really struggling uh, to keep the, the shelf stocked. Everyone was buying toilet paper and uh, you know they couldn't keep it on the shelves. So uh, we said, all right, how can we take, you know, some of these food and beverage professionals that are now out of work um, and, and get them to work and help hospitals and help grocery stores and uh, be part of, you know, fighting against COVID. And so we, we focused on that for a while and grocery stores stabilized and the shelves are stocked again. And uh, so there wasn't as much need there. We, we did help, you know, some hospital systems, uh, especially one in New York, uh, provide a lot of meals there. We helped um, a hotel in San Diego with uh, providing a place for new Marine recruits to come and uh, quarantine ahead of going to boot camp. So we, we found a lot of ways to help uh, during COVID. But ultimately, we said, listen, you know, we're you know, a much smaller startup than we were uh, pre-COVID. And we know food and beverage. Uh, we believe there's a, a really good focus there and a, a big need. Um, while there wasn't as much business and still isn't in hotels and catering companies. Restaurants were hit really hard as well, but they're coming back a lot faster than some of our other clients. So restaurants really only made up about 5% of our revenue pre-COVID. And we saw that they were having a really difficult time getting people back to work. Uh, some of the people they had laid off have now gone on to do other things. They had some of their staff that was coming back to work, but now they might get sick or possibly infected with COVID. They needed new people to come in. And the amount of 
uh, tables they had each night was varying as well or amount of takeout orders. So they had very different staffing needs. So we've shifted a lot of our focus uh, to restaurants now. Restaurants now make up about 25% of our revenue, up to 60% of our revenue in some markets. And uh, we think it's a, you know, a great category for us to, to focus on going forward as well. Really fascinating. Um, it seems a little counterintuitive. I'm, it's been a while since I've gone out to, gone out to eat with my wife. Uh, we, we did something for our anniversary in um, midsummer, but it's, it is an industry that is defiantly trying to make a go of things. And the challenges they have um, are unprecedented to borrow an overused phrase. Yes, absolutely. It's okay. uh, it's a tough industry to be in right now. Um, it's it's tough to to get customers in the door. It's it's tough to you know comply with all the regulations and restrictions that are out there while still trying to to you know turn a profit. And it's tough to you know get people to staff the restaurant as well. Yep. So in addition to just getting bodies on the floor, uh, what kinds of things do you help uh, your restaurant clients with? So staffing is really the, the number one thing that we do. Um, and that can be uh, whether you're trying to fill a no-show, someone that didn't show up to work or you know, possibly came you know, in contact with COVID and can't come to work, we can get someone there to you right away. If you're looking to hire somebody new, um, you can use someone through Quick, and as soon as you like someone that you want to hire, you can hire them off our platform for free. So we really help a lot with the recruiting aspect. Uh, it's kind of a try before you buy, um, and we're starting to now with more you know restaurants actually just outsource their their staffing. So uh, a dishwasher, for example, is is someone that's hard to find, and they typically have you know very high turnover. So you find someone that you really like, and maybe three four months later they leave. So some restaurants now just outsource it to us and say, you know, we're just going to tell quick every single night how many dishwashers we need. And we supply the dishwashers for them every single day. Um, we try to look to add value outside of that as well. And so we do a lot of writing on our blog about different ways to, for our business partners and our professionals to, to succeed. So how to put together a, a budget or a forecast for what you're doing, um, how to plan an event, uh, you know, different resources that try to help them outside of just the staffing that we provide as our, our normal base service. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a whole ecosystem, a whole business ecosystem around helping restaurants adapt, understanding how sanitization has changed and what you have to do and, and understanding any um, density and, and, and how to make it, how to still make money when your restaurant is at 50% capacity and what you have to do. Um, some really fascinating things. And it sounds like you're, that's still not your, the core of your business, but it's in a, I think it's in a, it sounds like from my uneducated outsider view, uh, an important part of your business. Yeah. I mean, anything that we can do to help our business partners and our professionals succeed, uh, we're here to do it. Now we center our, ourselves on staffing. Um, but if there's an opportunity for us to help, uh, we do that. And we've done that in a couple different ways, even through this pandemic. Um, as the pandemic started, we cut all of our fees by 50% so that we could help our business partners save their capital for the things that they're going to need to do to, to pay their rent or you know, invest in new sanitization routines and, and products. Um, and, you know, I think our quick cares calls where 
you know, we spent a lot of our time on the phones with our business partners, professionals, not asking for anything, not, you know, trying to sell anything extra, but just saying, Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Like, how can we help you? Um, you know, what are the ways that we can, you know, even go out and do something. And I tell my team all the time, you know, we, we're going to do things that at some points that don't scale, right? If it's just being there to talk to someone, to help them find something that, you know, isn't part of our business, but we can help them in some way. Like, let's do those things, uh, provide value to your customers. And, and I think they'll be good partners. Yeah. You know, I, I harp on this and a lot of the clients that I sell to, there's a lot of talk about have perspective for your customer, give them perspective, challenge the, your customer's view of the world so that you can provide additional value and change the way they think and, and help them envision new outcomes. And I've always thought that you can't have insight as a salesperson into something that you don't understand. It means you've got to understand your customer's business mm -hmm. because your job isn't to sell your service. Your job is to grow your customer's business using your service. Absolutely. And you can't, you can't help your customer grow if you don't know their business. It's, it sounds obvious, but so many sales forces just want to turn their salespeople into sales droids that make calls and make pitches on their stuff, not asking and understanding and don't educate their sales teams. And I think that's a sin. Tell me how appropriate that advice is in your business versus say a cloud software company selling big enterprise software. Well, I think at the end of the day, it's the, you know, it doesn't matter what you're selling if you don't have a human based sales approach to understand not just the other person and their business, but like what drives them and what are the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, then you're truly just trying to, you know, shove techno babble down their throats. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we have one of our competitors uh, that is very much does that. Uh, They're just a hard sell, you know, technology based. This is our product. This is why you should use it. This is why we're the best. Um, no one really cares. No one cares about your product versus something else. They care about how are you going to help them solve their problems? What, what pain are you going to take away or how are you going to make their lives better? And and if you don't understand them and what it is that they need that pain reliever for or what it is they need that vitamin for, um, then truly you're, you're just trying to shove something out of their throats just for the sake of the sale. And those might get you some good short-term sales, but they're not going to generate those long-lasting partnerships that ultimately end up turning into referrals and you know true growth. Um, so I, I think you've got to have that human-based sales approach and understand who it is that you're selling to. Yeah, one of my old mentors, Bob Miller, died several years ago, founder of Miller Hyman. Uh, a couple of his quotes were ringing in my ears as you were talking. He, you know, he said, uh, your customers don't buy your product or service, they buy their own outcomes. Mm -hmm. And another thing he said is, you don't know what to sell until you know what your customer's trying to buy. And <laughs> one of my quote is that if you are thinking after the sale support or if you use that kind of language, you're already on the wrong track because it's not after the sale, it's between sales. And you better start acting like it's between sales uh, or you're going to, you're automatically driving a wedge. And I think when you have, you can't afford to think any other way. Yeah, I think that's so true. And especially true for a business like ours where 
it is, it's a pay as you go solution, right? There's, um, you know, there's, it's very easy to walk away because you just don't post another shift. Um, the reason that our customers love working with us is that we partner with them. They get true value and we got to ensure that they're getting that, that value every single time. Um, otherwise they go to somebody else. Yeah. So here's, here's another question, getting back to agility and change management. Um, you developed this pivot and you're, you're starting down that path and you've been in an entrepreneur, you've been in startup mode for years and years now, uh, mm -hmm. with different companies and maybe you don't realize the kind of muscles you've built into your organizations to make them good at changing. While we used to always say, you know, the only constant is change. In 2020, we learned that you ain't seen nothing yet because the changes are faster and they're bigger and that's not going to stop. Or is there something that people who have a, a more mature company can take from you just in that area of designing agility, building the muscles for change into your organization? Um, yeah, I, I think some of it starts with, you know, as we're talking about truly understanding your customers. Um, if you don't understand your customers, then you're going to pivot into something else that you think they may want versus what, you know, you already know your customers and what they may need and what you know they need. But as you look at your own organization, I think um, focusing on a team that is, is creative and, and is empowered to do the things that they need to do. And this is not about me. It's not about how I lead the company as much as it is about the people that I bring in and how I, I lead them. Because it's the team that's going to drive the outcomes for us to be agile. And if you can build uh, that trust with the team, uh, build people around you that are uh, truly know what it is that we're up against and, and provide a vision for them and then trust and empower them to go out and execute, you're going to be amazed at the creativity that comes back from the team. Um, a lot of the ideas that we have in our organization, you know, don't come from me. They come from the people that are out there doing the day-to-day the -day work and um, knowing and trusting that they're going to come up with those ideas and they're going to execute on those is, uh, I think, a real key to our success. We also allow innovation to happen across the entire company. So, um, you know, everyone in the company has the ability uh, to create new innovations within the company, all the way down to the way our product works. So as an example, our operations managers, they have the ability to create automations within our product and the technology that don't require multiple iterations of going into a product team, have engineering work on it, have it come out QA, and then affect ultimate product. We can roll out iterations, you know, within hours, not within weeks. And um, I think that allows us to move very fast. Um, and I think just having that mindset as you, uh, as you go into these new challenges, that not anything is, is certain or guaranteed. Let's experiment. Let's try things, see what works. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. We learned something from it, you know, fail fast and, and move forward. Um, try something else. It's better to try, you know, a hundred different things and succeed at a few than to, you know, try nothing or try one and, and not succeed. Man, you, I, I'm furiously writing because a, a lot of great insights and I want to stop and highlight a couple because you flew through them. I want to go back and highlight them. One is that you have company-wide learning. 
everybody in your company is a sensory organ. Where when I went to business school, a central led learning system was the leader. And you rejected that within half of the first half of your first sentence. Everybody in your company is the innovator. You push that innovation as low as it can possibly go. And when you kind of use an example of uh, somebody being able to iterate without having to bring in the product team, when it's a, an, a change of a certain scope that you're able to do without, do it. But here's, here's a kind of change we have to bring the product team in. And having just kind of rules of engagement, um, I think... You said it, but I wanted to just kind of stop and get everybody to notice that that's not something that's normal in a big organization. It's probably pretty normal in a lot of the companies that you've started and founded, but that's pretty exceptional. And as, as your company grows and professionalizes, if you will, uh, and you bring an MBA in, they want to stop doing that. Yeah. Where leader as Superman mindset. Sure, sure. I think it's somewhat of an egocentric mindset as well to think that I as a leader or someone that has an MBA or someone that's the CEO of a company is going to be the one to have all the right answers. Uh, I I think it's somewhat foolish. Um, Why am I any better at coming up with these ideas than someone else in my organization? Um, And he talks to the customer. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And and why would I think that one person is going to be better at coming up with it than the, you know, harnessing the power of the entire company's brains? Um, the one thing that I, I wanted to, to pinpoint on what you said there that I, I think takes this, uh, you know, idea and really extrapolates it to the next level is the rules of engagement. And, and I'd like to challenge that and say the, or, or the lack of rules of engagement, right? So like, I believe in having no rules of engagement. Um, if you have a good idea, go out and try it. Um, the, the less rules, the better. I believe in hiring adults, treating them like adults, giving them the, the freedom to act as an owner of the company because they are, everyone in our company is an owner in the company. They all have equity in the company. But with that comes a lot of responsibility as well, right? But give them the freedom and power to go out and, and do things. If you're acting in the best interest of quick, then you have the permission to go out and do whatever you think is necessary. Yeah, I, I like that. I worked for one of my first companies I worked for, it's a pretty big company, but they designed the company for that entrepreneurial, no rules of engagement. They did have one rule of engagement around that and they called it the waterline principle. They basically said, we're all in the same boat together and you are free. Everybody in the company is free to drill holes in the side of the boat. But if you're drilling a hole below the waterline, you need to get the buy-in of those around you so that we manage risks. You know, we don't necessarily have a waterline decision matrix uh, to to guide it. I I believe... uh, if someone makes a mistake that is truly capable of seeing the company, we're going to, we're going to see it fast. We, we communicate in real time. Um, and they're going to learn really fast if, if they made a mistake that, you know, was a really bad mistake. We we've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but if you, if I can teach that person how to learn from that mistake, they're going to be so much better and, you know, to equipped to make all the future decisions. I mean, that's the more that they can understand, 
you know, everything from my perspective, uh, you know, from the financials to our, you know, where we're headed, they're going to be that much more equipped to make better decisions, including learning from the mistakes that they make, even if it's a, a big critical mistake. Yeah, never waste a perfectly good mistake, as they say. Absolutely. Uh, any advice that you have uh, to anybody who's who's in that food and beverage industry? Um, something that you'd like to communicate to people? Um, something you've learned or something of value that you think you might that they might um, find of value? Well, I, I think we've seen a lot of creativity and hustle and drive, just determination in in the food and beverage industry so far. And in continuing to to be nimble, um, you know, be creative, and uh, you know, have that perseverance to to get through it, I think is the biggest thing. Um, preserve capital where you can, you know, on, on the the downhill, and be ready to uh, you know deploy that capital when you have opportunities in front of you to to get up that next hill. Um, but uh, overall, I think. You know, don't give up. Uh, I think we, we're, we've got a light in the tunnel. Uh, we're almost there. Great news on the vaccines. Uh, continue to, to do all the creative things that we've seen done. We've seen some of our caterers that have completely pivoted their businesses to serve different clients, to do meal prep, to do all sorts of different things. We've seen, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a hotel in San Diego that is very low occupancy from a normal uh, tourist perspective, but they were able to you know be creative and got a contract with the military to house uh, new recruits um, creativity and and being willing to go against the status quo and try something new you know what if it doesn't work you're no you know, worse off than you were before so go try a bunch of things uh, throw stuff against the wall see what sticks and then you see some of the sticks go after it great well, Jamie, thank you. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to? Um, number one way to, to work with us is, you know, quick.com, qwick.com. Uh, feel free to also reach out to me on LinkedIn. I uh, love to help the entrepreneurial community here in Phoenix and, and elsewhere. Um, and uh, we'd love to connect. Great. Jamie, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we understand that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that your success, strangely, is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. If you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues Cause you'll be singing those old Don't Know Value Blues This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com